Welcome to Thinking Sheep, a podcast that probes the riches and complexities of life. Thinking Sheep podcast. Think as you need. Think harder as you follow. As you follow. Well, today at Thinking Sheep, we're going to discuss marriage. You know that institution that so many people want to be a part of. Yet, no matter how great the intentions, statistics say that it's a good chance that that marriage won't last. Why is that? Joining the Thinking Sheep podcast today is Dr. Sam Hasty, professor of psychology at Miami-Dade College, relationship expert and marriage counselor, calling in all the way from Miami, Florida. How are you doing today, my friend? Good to be with you, my friend. I, uh, I am truly honored. Um, before we get into marriage and relationships, um, share with the listeners um, a little bit about your background. How did you become interested in the field of psychology? And how did you become so passionate about relationships, especially marriage? Yeah, so, so first, uh, psychology, I, I, I got the bug, if you may, uh, when, when, I, when, I, when I was an undergraduate uh, student at um, Freedom Armman College in Henderson, Tennessee. I actually went to school uh, to train for the seminary. And uh, during, during the process of, of training, um, psychology was one of those courses uh, that uh, you had to take as, as, as part of a liberal arts uh, uh, degree. And got into introduction to psychology and, and really uh, recall just the, the, the one chapter on behaviorism. People like John B. Watson, uh, Ivan Pavlov, uh, especially that of, uh, of, of B.F. Skinner, just just clicked with me. The idea that individuals' um, behaviors can be um, altered, can be modified, can be directed. And so that's the thing that uh, really got me um, kind of into the club, so to speak, and it took off. Uh, after I certainly pursued other courses, uh, particularly cognitive psychology. So for me, it became more of this combination of one's behavior being influenced by one's thinking. That shifted uh, into my work, in my, uh, my pastoral work, uh, in reference to relationships and marriages, particularly uh, because I was, uh, I was especially concerned uh, about the, the the sacredness of marriage and how how me personally, but also how I can help others really maintain the the the, the, the sanctity of the institution by their thinking and their behaving. And so, for me, that good fit of of understanding psychology in a way that really enhances quality of good marriages uh, was what brought me to the work that I'm doing even today. Well, great. Well, I was reading some statistics the other day on marriage and about 42%, some numbers said even up to 45% of first marriages will fail Second marriages, 60%. Third marriages, 73% chance of survival. Uh, what's going on with marriage in this country? 
Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's an interesting phenomenon, and and particularly when I teach um, uh, uh, courses in 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 marriage and family, I would I would right at the onset of those courses, I would ask students. Uh, what do they make of those percentages? So usually I would say, so look, about 40% of all first-time marriages end in, divorce, end, end in divorce. Many of those individuals will marry for a second time only to find themselves divorcing at a rate of almost 60%. And uh-huh. those will divorce and remarry at a, and then divorce subsequently for the third time at a rate of almost 75%. And usually I would say uh, to students, so what do you make of those data? And many students would say, doesn't seem like marriage works. That's interesting because I read the data differently. And they would say, well, professor, how do you read the data? I said, my read on the data is that people want to be married. They don't know how to stay married. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. So, so it's, 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 not that, it's not that marriage failed people, people fail the institution of marriage. Then why is it that people fail marriage? Because marriage is an institution. So that institution really doesn't fail anyone. People will fail the institution, right? And the question is how and why? And it is because um, many individuals come into this great institution, number one, just grossly misinformed, misinformed about um, how they should come in or what they should come in for or who they should come in as. And so that's where the educational component really begins to make uh, the difference. So what I try to get students to understand is that those data suggest to me that these are the people that you actually want to work with because they want to be married. Now, what kind of work do you do with them? The work that you do with them is helping them to understand how to remain married. That's the critical component. Okay, so I hear you when you say that marriage should be understood as an institution. Um, Yet Christians are taught that marriage is a sacred institution, that God is at the foundation of marriage yet the divorce rate is still high among Christians. So talk to me about that. Sure, sure. And and that really, it, it's quite frankly, it's the way they see everything else in their life. As, as And often what is said is that, you know, Christianity is a personal thing. Now, what a lot of people mean by that, unfortunately, uh, although they may not use the term, is, is that Christianity is a subjective thing. I can make it for me what I want it to be. Okay. If it is the case that I come into marriage as a Christian, but that marriage does not work for me, then my Christianity allows me to exit that marriage and I can be okay with that because there's a need for me to keep my own sense of wholeness intact. Right. So so it can't be me. It has to be the other person that really did not make the we simply were not a good fit for each other. And often I would ask, but according to you, 
um, you did pray about this, you sought God's counsel and advice, so who was wrong, you or God? Right, and of course, no one is gonna say God is wrong. <laughs> right, so, uh, but then people are reluctant to say, well, I was wrong. But eventually folk would say, well, you know, I was wrong, I made a mistake. And I often respond by saying, nah, no, actually you didn't. And of course, the statistic that we cited earlier, that 40, 60, 75, is proof to what I'm saying that no, 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 no. No mistake was made in the first place. Or how many times are you going to make the same mistake? No mistake was made. So even in Christianity, what then is operating more so than anything else is, is selfishness. I want what I want when I want it, and I'll do whatever I have to do under what terms and conditions in order to get it. And that, unfortunately, is the thing that pervades not just marriage, but it pervades the Christian life. And so you would see that same kind of theme in all areas of that person's life. Because even in the case of Christians, if they're struggling in their marriage, they're, they're, in all probability, they're having similar kinds of struggles in other areas of their life. So to the degree that he thinks selfishly, he behaves selfishly with respect to marriage, with respect to his taxes, with respect to the way he treats his spouse and or his children, but even so his neighbor. Right. Well, like many people, I grew up thinking that marriage is like a half and a half coming together to make a whole. But now I see it as more of a whole and a whole coming together to make a greater whole. Absolutely. This idea that it takes two to make a thing go right, that's only a song, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the idea that, 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 that marriage is a 50-50 proposition, that simply is not true. The truth of the matter is that there are two individuals who, as, as healthy and wholesome persons, come into marriage. And in fact, um, what I like to say, not only is it not only a 50-50 a, a proposition, marriage is not a two-way street. And it's important to, to, to understand it because on a two-way street, people pass each other. They people are going in opposite directions, right? Right. Opposite directions is not good. Unfortunately, that's what happens in many instances. So what I say is that marriage is not a two-way street. Marriage is a one-way street with two lanes traveling in the same direction. But there are two individuals who both of whom are bringing 100% to the relationship, looking to give 100%, but not looking to get necessarily anything in return. And, and that for me is a critical concept because that, that, that personifies or that epitomizes the very spirit of God. And so when Christians give 100% without expecting anything in return, both individuals end up with 100%. But when people talk about it's a 50-50, it's never 50-50. It's never 50-50. Because even if you come into marriage singing 50-50, mean, okay, now my 50 is going to look like 50 today or you know another 50. Uh, uh, it, it's, it's never 50-50. But what you do is that you, with, with the mindset that says, I give 100 and expect nothing in return, then both people end up being the recipients 
of 100. So no one really loses anything. Okay, so far, if I understand you correctly, you're saying that marriage should be understood as an institution for Christians, a sacred institution. And when two people make that commitment, they need to come or approach this institution with an attitude of giving instead of coming with an attitude of what can I get out of this? And in doing so, you dismantle selfishness, which is probably the number one enemy of most marriages, correct? Correct. So when two people decide to make that commitment, when they decide to marry, you have a lot going on. You basically have two personal histories coming together. So if there was dysfunction in one or both households, that's coming to the table. Correct. If there is an interracial marriage, then you have the cultural barrier coming to the table. Um, two different worldviews. Then children come. And oftentimes couples argue over how to raise children, right? You have two different philosophies going on. And so if you marry young, most people are not that mature to come to a marriage with an attitude of giving or understanding it as an institution or having the ability to exercise self-examination where you can see your own faults, where you can deal with your own faults. And... I know that we have premarital counseling in this country, but premarital counseling is a choice. And I don't have any statistics, but I would go out on a limb and bet that most couples choose not to get premarital counseling. Correct. So is it too easy to get married in this country? Because as it stands now, uh, two people could come together this week. And next week, they could say, hey, I'm in love with you. You're in love with me. Um, totally riding off of this romantic thing. And they could run off to Vegas and get married. It's kind of scary when you think about it, but that happens. So if you could make the rules, um, do you think uh, there needs to be some type of mandatory educational process that couples must go through? before they can legally get married, where they can learn about marriage as an institution, marriage as a sacred institution, and all of those things that you just talked about. What would you do? Quite frankly, if it were up to me, I would, I would, I would, I would mandate, and I know quite frankly, um, uh, there are some states that have tried to mandate um, some kind of, of, of certificate or some kind of educational processes um, um, before uh, a marriage license is issued. Now, again, in this country, that's almost impossible because of constitutional right. What I would do is offer um, relationship uh, uh, counseling, coaching, teaching, instruction, instruction, in schools, right? In schools, very, very early on. Now, but even then, that becomes a little bit dicey and difficult because uh, individuals say, well, who's going to do the teaching? What are they going to teach, et cetera, et cetera. So what I, in fact, advocate, and there are a number of couples that I'm working with now, is 
couples engaging in what I refer to as, as relationship coaching and counseling, right? So this is well before premarital, right? So, so in this particular example, what I do is, is I encourage individuals to meet with me on a regular basis right after about three or four months in that dating relationship. Uh, so after people have quote unquote gotten to know each other, which very seldom is true or even ever happens, right? <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but 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 shortly thereafter, I use I use that kind of three four month period as a mark because historically, what I have seen is that after about three or four months, if a relationship continues, those two individuals generally really want to be together. And so, what I encourage individuals to do is to then allow me to work with them over uh, the next three, four months in relationship coaching. And there we follow a, a pretty strict protocol or curriculum that will begin to help that relationship understand things like you don't marry for love, romance isn't real, Finances is a critical component of understanding how, how to make a marriage work. Communication or critical uh, is another critical concept. Um, sexual intimacy is something that really needs to be studied and thoroughly discussed even before entering into it. And so we take a very structured, very serious deep dive, so to speak, on educating couples. And again, this is this is on the front end of a dating relationship because here's the psychology behind it. If those two individuals get this relationship coaching very early on, whether or not that relationship materializes or eventuates into marriage, both of those individuals are now in a much better position when they go into their next relationship. And this is exactly what I'm seeing in my work. I invite um, um, dating couples as, as, as soon as they possibly can. Let's get, let's get the educational process started so you can really learn more about you first and foremost. Okay, well, well talk to me about love as it relates to marriage. You know, I'm, I got the, the, the Frank Sinatra tune in my head. Love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. What are individuals not understanding about love and marriage? Excellent question. So love and marriage really have nothing to do with each other. They have nothing to do with each other in as much as you do not have to marry someone because you love them. Nor do you have to um, love someone because you are married to them. So in many instances, what we see is particularly in terms of conflict, the conflict that people have in marriages is a direct function of individuals not having love. Now, when I say have love, let me say what I mean by that, because I, I do not see love as an object, right? So I really don't believe in, 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 in a marriage having love. What I believe is 
love gets personified in the persons who are in that marital relationship, but it is not a function of marriage. So what it means is that even before those individuals would meet each other or know that they exist, they are already love, L-O-V-E, not L-O-V-E-D. So they come into the relationship as love, not for love. Now, to explain that a little bit more, this concept is taken directly out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verses 4 through 8, where the Apostle Paul says, love is patient, it's kind, it's gentle, it's giving, it's, it's forgiving, it's not boastful, it's not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my conclusion is to the degree that you personify patience, you are love. To the degree that you personify givingness, you are love. To the degree that you personify forgiveness, you are love. Love is not this thing that exists outside of us that we need to look for in someone else. Love is something that we are capable of being. So love is not a feeling. Love is not an emotion. Love is a being, a person, a person who is patient, kind, gentle, giving, and forgiving. And to the degree that you personify love, then everyone around you, they become the recipient of the love that you are. So that when you come into a relationship as love, the person with whom you come into that relationship, they now become the recipient of the love that you are, whether or not you're married to them, whether or not you're married to them. So marriage is not for love. Marriage is a commitment really to a monogamous relationship. That's what marriage is. Marriage is a commitment to a monogamous relationship, particularly under the auspices of Christianity. Now, there are other religions where you can be married and it's not a monogamous relationship and folk understand that, right? It can be polygamous or whatever, but that, that's, a, that, that's a different kind of rubric that's being used for marriage in that particular case. Here, what I'm talking about is, is, is individuals, they personify love, they come into the relationship as love but the love that they have for that person to whom they are married is no greater or no less than the love that they have really for anyone else in the world, whether or not they know that person. Now, this is a particularly troubling thought for a lot of people who don't think like this or have never heard this kind of concept because we've been taught to believe that, no, no, when you love your spouse, that is supposed to be a special love. No, no, no. The love isn't special. It's the relationship that's special. So here's what I say. The love is the same. The relationship is different, right? And so it is, because this concept is, 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 is one that comes from God himself. God loves us all, but the relationship that he shares with us is different. The relationship that he shares with a son or a daughter is very different than the relationship that he shares with someone who decides not to be his son or daughter. But here's what's interesting. It's different, not because of him, but because of them. And so this is what comes to bear, even in marriage. So um, in a relationship, 
in a marriage and particularly in a family where there is mom, dad, and the kids, there is no variation. There's no variation in love among that family, none whatsoever. Each of them love each other the very same degree. But dad is not going to share the kind of relationship with his daughter that he does with his wife. But he can love his wife and his daughter the same, but the relationship is different. And this is why we have problems in many instances in really trying to get people to wrap their mind around that idea of why the divorce rate, for example, you know, marriage and divorce rates are escalating. Because it, this concept of the love is the same, the relationship is different, is one with which we struggle. So, um, for example, you can have a couple that's married. They work in different places. And because they work in different places, they now begin to share uh, different relationships. And in the process of working with someone, just spending time with that person, they might say, well, you know, end up having quote unquote extramarital affairs, right? And they say, well, you know what? I can't help who I love. No, you can't help who you love, but you certainly can help who you are sexually intimate with, right? Because, because not because you love that person, does it mean that you have to be sexually intimate with that person? In fact, in fact, shame on you if you don't love that person. Shame on you if you don't love that person. But this is where we now begin to have to really educate people about these kinds of things. So basically what you're saying is if we could get individuals to understand that they're capable of loving everybody to the same degree, but have different relationships with those people, then the relationship can change or has the ability to change in very positive ways, especially um, when it comes to the way people think about the role of love and marriage. Right, it kind of dismantles this romantic notion of love. And love is more of a spiritual, unconditional force in the relationship. So let me ask you this. What about two individuals coming together, but they don't believe in the same God? Can that relationship work? Talk to me about that. Excellent question. It can work. It can work as long as those individuals um, are committed to each of those individuals remaining as individuals, even within the marriage. Here's what I'm saying. So the concept, the erroneous concept that in marriage, one person belongs to another is exactly that, an erroneous concept. No person belongs to another person. You know, particularly among people of color going back a couple hundred years ago, we used to call that slavery. No, no, no one person belongs to another person. So, so you can have two individuals in a marriage with very divergent views, worldviews of God and the like, and they be very successful in that marriage. Yeah, I could see the two individuals with divergent views having success. However, I could see that there might be a problem when you bring a child into the mix. One parent wants to raise that child in church. The other parent says, no, I don't want my child involved in any of that church stuff. And so um, what about that? This is what we tend not to think of well in advance. 
so going back to your question earlier, how do we now address these escalating rates by educating folk right up front in relationship counseling and long-term premarital counseling on the kind of the do's and the don'ts and the plans. And, and, and so one of the things I do, for example, I, I say to couples, particularly in premarital counseling, okay, let's put a five-year plan together. Let's have a look at the first five years of marriage. And in the first five years of marriage, what are your finances going to look like? What is, what is the complexion of this family going to look like? Are you going to have kids in those first five years? And if you do, and if you do, given what you believe and given what you believe, how does that impact this child, all right? What are going to be your parenting styles? So you even know whether or not you have similar or divergent parenting styles. These are the kinds of things that very seldom, even in, even in the traditional premarital counseling sessions, these kinds of things very seldom get addressed, but they are critical. Yes, indeed. Well, Dr. Hasty, you have certainly given us a lot to think about. I look forward to part two of our conversation next week. You are listening to the Thinking Sheep podcast, and today was part one of my conversation with psychologist, relationship expert, and counselor, Dr. Sam Hasty. You can read more about Dr. Hasty's work at helpfulhasty.com. That's www.helpfulhasty.com. Next week, Dr. Hasty will break down the institution of marriage and give us a clear definition. And we will discuss what people really want. What are people really looking for when they want to get married? Follow us here on Instagram at ThinkingSheep1. That's Thinking Sheep and the number one. You can also follow us on Facebook at Thinking Sheep. Thinking Sheep Podcast. Think as you lead. Think harder as you follow. As you follow. As you follow.